stand if you have a Bible. Uh, we are continuing on in our series in the book of Ephesians, so I'd invite you to open up there. If you don't have a Bible, uh, you should be able to find one in a pew in front of you. Grab that, take it with you. Um, we love nothing more than giving away Bibles, so uh, grab that, take it. Uh, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4 this morning, um, and I'm going to start reading from verse 17. We always say something together at the end. You'll see that on the screen in a moment. Um, so uh, follow along there when we get to the end of our reading. So Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 17. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But this is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is the word of the Lord. Well, again, good morning. My name is Spencer. I get to be a pastor here in this community, and uh, I'm excited this morning to continue on in this series. I want to start with an illustration, but before I do that, I want to give uh, an illustration disclaimer, okay? Uh, here's my disclaimer. This illustration is about marriage, and I simply want you all to know that uh, I have been a part of church communities in the past where the pastor, the preacher, the teacher, uh, often, if not almost exclusively, used illustrations drawn from marriage or raising kids. Those are kind of the two uh, most frequently used areas of illustrations. Um, and so I just simply want you to know that I recognize that if that's the only thing I ever draw illustrations from, I leave out a whole bunch of people. Um, it's, if we're going to give a, a charitable take on that, it's only, it makes some sense, you know, that a preacher would do that if they are married, if they have children, because so much of your life revolves around keeping those human beings alive. Not your spouse. Hopefully you don't have to keep them alive, but um, you know what I'm saying. Uh, so it, it, it makes some sense, but I just want you to know that I choose illustrations carefully. And if I use one about marriage or kids, I've thought about it, thought about it a lot and said, is this worth it? Okay, there's my illustration disclaimer. In this case, I think it's worth it, okay? So, something that Sam and I, Sam is my wife, uh, that we get to do uh, as part of our role here at the church uh, is premarital counseling with couples that I am going to marry. We just did some with Adam and Raquel, who may or not, may not be sitting back here. If they are, they're going to hate me for pointing in that direction. Oh, they're back. Over oh, there, there they are. Um, uh, who I will be marrying in what, guys? Like two weeks or something? Two weeks. Woo! Um, right in here. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, guys. 
Um, and something that we often talk about as part of premarital counseling is this process that married couples all go through. It often starts uh, before you're married, maybe when you're engaged or even seriously dating, but it doesn't really like fully come to a head until after you're married. And it's the process of leaving behind your old family for the sake of the new one that you are building together. And this, let me just say, this looks totally different. The way this plays out looks totally different for every couple. There's all sorts of factors that go into what this process looks like, what the eventual sort of uh, end product is, meaning like your relationship as a married couple and how you relate to your families looks very different for each couple. But this process takes place for every couple, I would say, or at least should. Uh, And it usually happens through fits and starts, you know, failures where one person says, oh, I didn't realize you were going to, you know, and you have a conversation, and then you try again, and then you fail again, and you sort of regroup and talk. It looks totally different for every couple, but I believe that seeing your partner make those deliberate decisions to slowly surrender up, yield this old family for the sake of the new one, is a crucial part of growing in your trust of each other, of being vulnerable enough to to come together and make this new family. And we will see in our passage this morning a very similar invitation being made, a very similar invitation. And we, we, you could say it's, uh, in some ways, Paul is also giving the warning if we refuse to do that, okay? So let's do what we often do uh, at the start of our messages. Let's pause, take some deep breaths, consider how you're feeling, Then I'll pray, and we will begin to look more at our passage. So, King Jesus, we thank you that as we consider what new life in you looks like, we don't do so alone. You sent your spirit to guide us, and you gave us each other to walk this journey out. So as we consider this new life this morning, would you lead and guide us by your Spirit? And then would we faithfully spur one another on, encourage each other as we live this new life? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's start at verse 17. Paul opens this passage saying, Now this I say. It's like a a therefore, right? And when a passage starts with a therefore, we always consider what the therefore is there for. That's what my dad always used to say, and I'm realizing I'm saying all the things my dad used to say. Um, But when somebody says, now, this I say, clearly they're sort of referencing some things that have come before. And as Becky said a couple of weeks ago, this is both referencing the first half of the book, where Paul lays this foundation of who we are in Christ— But it's here, Paul's also referencing the beginning of chapter 4, 
And so what have we covered in chapter 4 so far? Well, two weeks ago, Becky led us through considering this unity in the body of Christ. Last week, Mike walked us through this passage where we consider how we use our unique individual gifts to build up the body of Christ. So that's the context, and Paul says, Now, this I say, and testify in the Lord, he writes, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. So Paul is saying, hey, so this kind of church that I've been talking about, this kind of people that I've been talking about, if we're going to be those kinds of people, then this I say, this I testify, some translations uh, uh, translate that word as insist, this I insist in Christ, we might summarize all that's to come by the phrase that you must live differently, live differently. If we want to be the kind of church that Paul has been talking about and that he will talk about for the rest of this book, then it will require each of us determining for ourselves day by day to live differently. Now make no mistake, the Spirit is going to help us. Thank God. The Spirit is going to help us, and we've been given each other to walk this out together, but you must choose. You must make this decision to live differently. Now, is this just like a cool slogan? We've made some bracelets, and they say, live differently. Not at all. Paul's going to, even in this passage, he works it out through the rest of Ephesians, but even in this passage, he gets into this a little bit more. And our passage kind of has two halves to it, two parts to living differently. The first half, Paul talks about making a break with our old selves. Make a break with your old self. And as we'll see, in some ways, with those who are still living apart from Christ. And the second half is this invitation then, if we're going to live differently, we must make a break with the old self and take up our new life in Christ. So let's look at each of these halves. Let's begin with making a break with the old self. Let me read verse 17 in its entirety now. Paul writes, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. So let's cover some details of this verse. Uh, What does Paul mean when he says, no longer live as the Gentiles do? Is he making a distinction between Jews and Gentiles here? Not really. He's writing to the Ephesians, and he's using Gentiles here, as Paul sometimes does, as all of those who are not in Christ. Non-Christian Greeks and Romans in this city of Ephesus. And as we've considered many times through this book, when Paul says, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, this idea of walk is talking about our way of life, our daily decision, our day in and day out kind of living. And so when he writes, you must no longer walk, the implication, of course, is that we used to live this way. And he says as much earlier in Ephesians, in chapter 2, verses Uh, 1 to 2, and then verse 4, he writes this, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. There's that word again. 
Verse 4 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. So, as we consider what it means to make a break with the old self, and to some extent with those who are still outside of Christ, Paul's going to talk about this past life, what it, was, what it was like, what it means to live apart from God. And he's going to give us sort of two realities. The first is this darkened understanding for those outside of Christ, and then very closely related, a self-oriented kind of behavior. So first, let's look at this darkened understanding. Look at verse 18. They are darkened in their understanding that they, of course, is the Gentiles that he's just talked about in verse 17. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. So I think the scriptures teach us that we are all born into sin, which gives us this flawed, broken understanding of the world around us. But then we also make choices, choices that move us further away from God. We can't see him for what he really is, the source of life and goodness. And so we make choices that move us away from him and his ways. The scripture talks about this process of moving away as the hardening of one's heart. And the Bible says that as we make those decisions, God allows us to do so. God allows us to go. And as the heart hardens, we see Paul beginning to lay out here this vicious cycle that takes place. As the heart hardens, we slowly choose emptier and emptier things. When Paul writes the futility of their minds, this word futility, futile, just means empty, without purpose. And ultimately, it brings us to verse 19, where he writes, they've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And friends, this sort of makes some sense, I would argue, because as we gradually lower our eyes from the true source of what is good and right in this world, that being God and his ways, as we lower our eyes from that, we lose our reference point. And then it's only natural that we sort of begin to move this way and that. Well, that seems good, or that feels right. We're sort of like a farmer trying to plow a straight line, but just by looking at the ground. It's inevitable that we're going to wander. And here we should say, fortunately, not every person who is not a part of the family of God, lives the worst life that they could live, right? That's good news. Uh, We all know friends, neighbors, co-workers who are trying to live a good life. They want to be a good uh, parent, a good uh, partner, a good uh, employee, whatever it may be. But I think the scripture would teach us that without that ultimate reference point, we're still just going to be doing our best based on what feels right, what seems good. And we will, that that will break down. 
And so, what's the second half of this invitation that, that Paul is making um, to live differently? We must make a break with our old selves, and we must take up our new life in Christ. Look at verse 20. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. This phrase, learned Christ, is kind of strange, isn't it? And it's, sometimes things feel strange in English, but in the original language it would have read a little bit better. But scholars say this is clunky in both English and in Greek. Learned Christ. Normally we learn in a theory or an ideology. We learn math. But learning Christ sounds kind of strange. But what Paul is getting at is that for Christians, everything we believe hinges on a person. Jesus. We don't ultimately put our trust in a good idea or in a wise teaching. And I think Paul is suggesting that those things won't get us to taking up, to the point of taking up this new life, leaving behind the old, taking up the new. Only the person of Jesus can get us there. Because, as Paul writes, Jesus invites us into a better life, a truer life. The truth is in Jesus, he writes. What does Jesus say about himself? I am the way and the truth and the life. And so, just as Paul helped us understand what our old life looks like, he's going to help us understand a little bit of what it means uh, to put on, to take our new life up in Christ. In other words, what is Jesus inviting us into? Well, three things. And there's some repetition here, but I think that teaches us something. The first part of uh, Christ's invitation is to put off our old self. Secondly, to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. And thirdly, to put on the new self. So let's look at each of these. Look at uh, uh, verse 20 again. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. So here we're getting the sense, as Paul talks again about putting off the old self, that this is going to be an ongoing react, uh, reality for us. He says again, put off your old self. As he said a moment ago, you must no longer live that way. An ongoing kind of reality for us. And I know exactly what you're thinking right now. And of course, you are absolutely right. This is reminding you of that lesser-known Dr. Seuss work, The 500 Hats of Bartholomew Cubbins. I know you're thinking that, and you're totally right. It is absolutely like The 500 Hats of Bartholomew Cubbins. I know we all know this story very well, but just to remind us, just to refresh our memory, I would read it, but it doesn't rhyme, and it's actually very discomforting to read Dr. Seuss stuff that doesn't rhyme. It kind of is jarring in the brain. Um, Bartholomew Cubbins was this poor lad in this kingdom who uh, is in the city to sell, I think, some apples. Um, sorry, I know we all know the story, and you can remind me after. Um, 
to sell some apples, and the king rides by in his royal procession. And obviously, the fabric of a kingdom breaks down if we don't all remove our hats as the king rides by in his royal procession. Bartholomew removes his hat, but then, uh, to his great dismay, realizes there's still a hat on his head. And of course, to protect the fabric of their society, the king stops and uh, orders, demands that Bartholomew take off his hat. So he takes it off again, and there's still a hat on his head. And then we all know this, the story gets very strange for, Barth- for Bartholomew because he gets taken to the castle, nearly gets executed for not taking off his hat. It gets, takes a dark turn, nearly gets pushed off the top of the castle, but eventually he manages to take his hat off. I know that's what you were thinking about. I know. And it is like that. Daily, almost moment by moment, I was joking, but you know what I'm talking about, putting off the old self, laying aside these old patterns, these old ways of thinking, walking away from these old uh, uh, habits and sins, and then we turn around and all of a sudden, oh, they're back again. The hat is on my head. Daily, We put off the old self, but then when we wake up the next day, we find we need to do it all over again. But as we do this, day by day, this difficult work, something begins to happen. Verse 23, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. This word renewed means just making something new, and by implication, something better. And this is a partnership that takes place between our spirits and the Holy Spirit living in us. We might say it this way, that we learned Christ when we first believed in him, but we are still learning him day by day by day. There's more to learn. And if you doubt that this is true, no, like I just, I, I have, I learned everything I needed to know the day I became a follower of Jesus, or maybe you feel this way, that this is a daily struggle, and you're embarrassed about it. You think, I've been at this for years. It shouldn't be this way. Let me just remind you of one of the most encouraging passages of Scripture. Matthew 28, verses 16 to 19. We all likely, or many of us will know these verses, but you may not focus on what I love in these verses. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, This is after Jesus' resurrection. He's appeared to his disciples at various moments. The 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, saw him, the resurrected Jesus, and not for the first time, they worshipped him. Of course they did. But some doubted. So what does Jesus say? Man! I thought you guys were my guys and you're still doubting. No. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. These ones that are still, they're worshiping, but they are doubting. He sends them out. All authority has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. This renewing in the spirit of our minds is a slow work, friends. Our discipleship, our learning Jesus is never done. But as we put off the old self, take off our 500, sometimes it feels like 5 million hats, 
as we are daily renewed in the spirit of our minds, the spirit is making something new out of us, we are slowly putting on the new self. Look at verse 24. To put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So just as there was this awful cycle that we were caught in when we were apart from God, there's another cycle, a better one. See, as we slowly, day by day, are lifting our eyes from these shiny things that occupy our attention far too often, we're able to listen, to hear the voice of the Spirit better and better, nudging us towards what true life looks like. And we're putting on the new self, friends. And in so doing, we're experiencing true righteousness, what truly right living looks like, the life God always intended for us. In a moment, we're going to take communion together. But before we do that, I would like to get very practical with us. What does this mean in our day-to-day lives? Here in Guelph, 2023, Church of the City. I want to speak specifically in this moment to those of you who are in missional communities, but it's true for all of us who call this church home. You being in a missional community will not lead you uh, to grow just by sort of having your name on a list, maybe showing up to some potlucks. And this is... uh, this is a challenge for us as a church at times, friends, is we say, join a missional community. That's where discipleship happens for Church of the City. And so people join it and they say, great, I, I did the thing. I'm going to grow now. You need to want to grow. Remember we said, you must make a decision to live differently. Paul talked in these last passages that we looked at, the beginning of chapter four, about unity in this community of believers, about using our unique gifts to build one another up. The passages to come are going to talk more about that. But I think here, Paul is stopping to tell us that unless each of us makes a decision, decides day by day to leave that old self behind, to take up our new lives in Christ, we'll never be the kind of church that we hope to be, that we read about here. As Mike said last week, a good church. Your missional community will just be friends getting together for a meal. Unless we all come together and see, as that newly married couple sees, through fits and starts, the other person saying, okay, I'm part of this. This is my new family. I still have a family, but it's different now because this is my family. Of course, the analogy breaks down here because hopefully we're not leaving uh, our old families aside entirely. But you're saying, this, you're my people now. I'm, I'm stepping away from that, and I'm committed to this. And if you go through life in a missional community and you don't know if the people you're walking with have made that commitment— then life together is going to be slow and painful. I mean, it's slow and painful as it is. Us journeying together, even when we're committed to this work. You must want to grow. But the second thing, the second uh, application, I believe, for this passage 
is that this should drive us to our knees in prayer for those who have not yet seen Christ or who he truly is. See, we can see in ourselves, even for those of us who have tasted and seen that day by day there's a struggle. Day by day, sometimes we still feel like, oh man, my understanding is darkened again because this thing over here seems really good. I know it's not what God is inviting me into, but it just seems right. And if even we, who have seen the goodness, tasted it, still struggle day by day, how much more ought we to pray for our friends, for our neighbors, whose eyes have not yet been opened, friends. Music team, if you want to come up, we're going to transition to communion. I've loved uh, doing communion more often in these last few months. I think it allows us to kind of look at the beauty of this simple uh, act from all sorts of new angles. And let me just say, because I'm thinking about it right now, before I forget, these two wonderful folks would love to pray with you. When we transition to communion, to gathering the elements, if you just want to pray instead or before you do that, they would be honored and delighted um, to pray with you. But we've been considering, we've been taking communion uh, more often as of late, and I've loved considering all the many aspects of this simple act that we do together. And one of the beauties, I think, of communion is that it is both individual and communal, right? No one else can take these elements for you. Uh, You're doing that yourself, but we're all taking them together. And I think in so doing, each of us individually is reminding ourselves of this new life that we have in Christ the washing with his blood. But we're doing it in the presence of one another. We're doing that together. And this is why, friends, if you've ever wondered, this is one of the reasons, at least, that we say that communion is for those who have made this decision to follow Jesus. Because it's an opportunity for us to link arms, to see one another entering into saying, yes, I, I want to embrace again this new life offered to me in Jesus. We can trust each other, that we're headed in the same direction. So, if you are a follower of Jesus, uh, I would invite you in just a moment to come forward, gather the elements. Um, if you've never Uh, been treated to these delightful little communion cups. Both elements are there um, in the same cup. Uh, So uh, we'll move front to back, come out into the center, come forward, take uh, the elements, and then head around uh, along the sides back to your seat, um, and then just hold them, and in a moment we will take them together. Okay? So let's do that now. So I'd invite invite you to take this cup, Peel off the top layer there.
like to read some of Paul's words to another community of believers in a place called Galatia. He writes, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. The body of Christ broken for us. blood of Christ shed for us. Jesus, we are in awe that you have called us out of darkness and into light. Forgive us for those moments where our understanding is still dimmed, where we lower our eyes and choose lesser things. I pray today and tomorrow in the day after, and the day after, that we would be laying aside the old, taking up the new that you're offering, embracing this new life in Christ. And we also pray that this, we know that this new life, as we are renewed, that the world around us will take note. And so would more and more men and women in this city and beyond be invited into your light, into this family, in Guelph as it is in heaven. Amen. Please be praying. This week is the first gathering of our transition team, so you'll hear more about that in the coming weeks with some updates, but pray for that group as they meet this week, and uh, we'll see you next Sunday.